0: Chapter One of Eyebright. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Eyebright by Susan Coolidge. Chapter One Lady Jane and Lord Guildford. It wanted but five minutes to twelve in Miss Fitch's schoolroom and a general restlessness showed that her scholars were aware of the fact some of the girls had closed their books and were putting their desks to rights with a good deal of unnecessary fuss keeping an eye on the clock meanwhile the boys wore an air of dogs who see their master coming to untie them they jumped and quivered making the benches squeak and rattle and shifted their feet about on the uncarpeted floor, producing sounds of the kind most trying to a nervous teacher. A general expectation prevailed luckily, Miss Fitch was not nervous. She had that best of all gifts for teaching calmness, and she understood her pupils and their ways and had sympathy with them. She knew how hard it is for feet with the dance of youth in them to keep still for three long hours on a June morning. And there was a pleasant roguish look in her face as she laid her hand on the bell and Meeting the twenty-two pairs of expectant eyes which were fixed on hers rang it dear miss Fitch Actually a minute and a half before the time At the first tinkle little arrows dismissed from the bowstring two girls belonging to the older class jumped from their seats and flew ahead of all the rest into the entry where hung the hats and caps of the school and their dinner-baskets one seized a pink sunbonnet from its nail the other a shaker scoop with a deep green cape each possessed herself of a small tin pail and just as the little crowd swarmed into the passage they hurried out on the green in the middle of which the schoolhouse stood it was a very small green shaped like a triangle with half a dozen trees growing upon it but Little things are great to little men you know and to miss Fitch's little men and women the green had all the importance and excitement of a park Each one of the trees which stood upon it possessed a name of its own Every crotch and branch in them was known to the boys and the most daring among the girls each had been the scene of games and adventures without number the castle a low spreading oak with wide horizontal branches had been the favorite tree for fights half the boys would garrison the boughs the other half scrambling from below and clutching and tugging would take the part of besiegers and it had been great fun all round but alas for that had been ever since one unlucky day when luther bradley as king charles had been captured five bows up by cromwell and his soldiers and his ankle badly sprained in the process miss fitch had ruled that the castle should be used for fighting purposes no longer the boys might climb it but they must not call themselves a garrison nor pull nor struggle with each other so the poor oak was shorn of its military glories and forced to comfort itself by bearing a larger crop of acorns than had been possible during the stirring and warlike times now forever ended Then there was the dovecot an easily climbed tree on which rows of girls might be seen at noontimes roosting like fowls in the Sun and There was the falcon's nest which produced every year a few small sour apples and which Isabella Bright had adopted for her tree She knew every inch of the way to the top to climb it was like going up a well-known staircase and the sensation of sitting there aloft high in air on a bow which curved and swung with another bow exactly fitting her back to lean against was full of delight and fascination it was like moving and being at rest all at once like flying like escape the wind seemed to smell differently and more sweetly up there than in lower places Two or three times lost in fancies as deep as sleep Isabella had forgotten all about recess and bell and remained on her perch Swinging and dreaming till someone was sent to tell her that the arithmetic class had begun and once direful day marked with everlasting black in the calendar of her conscience being possessed suddenly as it were by some idle and tricksy demon she stayed on after she was called and called again still she stayed and when at last miss fitch herself came out and stood beneath the tree and in her pleasant mild voice told her to come down still the naughty girl secure in her fastness stayed and when at last miss fitch growing angry spoke severely and ordered her to descend Isabella shook the boughs and sent a shower of hard little apples down on her kind teacher's head That was dreadful indeed and dreadfully did she repent it afterward for she loved miss Fitch dearly And except for being under the influence of the demon could never have treated her so Miss Fitch did not kiss her for a whole month afterward that was Isabella's punishment and it was many months before she could speak of the affair without feeling her eyes fill swiftly with tears for Isabella's conscience was tender and her feelings very quick in those days This however was eighteen months ago when she was only ten and a half She was nearly twelve now and a good deal taller and wiser I Have introduced her as Isabella because that was her real name but the children and everybody always called her Eyebright i Eye bright it had been written in the report of her first week at miss fitch's school when she was a little thing not more than six years old the droll name struck someone's fancy and from that day she was always called eyebright because of that and because her eyes were bright they were grey eyes large and clear set in a wide low forehead from which a thick mop of hazel-brown hair with a wavy kink all through it was combed back and tied behind a brown ribbon Her nose turned up a little her mouth was rather wide But it was a smiling good-tempered mouth the cheeks were pink and wholesome and altogether though not particularly pretty Eyebright was a pleasant-looking little girl in the eyes of the people who loved her and they were a good many the companion with whom she was walking was Bessie Mother, her most intimate friend, just then. Bessie was the daughter of a portrait painter who didn't have many portraits to paint, so he was apt to be discouraged, and his family to feel rather poor. Eyebright was not old enough to perceive the inconveniences of being poor to her. there was a great charm in all that goes to the making of pictures. She loved the shining paint tubes the palette set with its ring of many colored dots and the white canvases even the smell of oil was pleasant to her and she often wished that her father too had been a painter when as once in a great while happened bessie asked her to tea she went with a sort of awe over her mind and returned in a rapture to tell her mother that they had had biscuits and applesauce for supper and hadn't done anything in particular but she had enjoyed it so much and it had been so interesting. Mrs. Bright never could understand why biscuits and apple sauce, which never created any enthusiasm in eyebright at home, should be so delightful at Bessie Mother's. Neither could eyebright explain it. But so it was. This portrait painting father was one of Bessie's chief attractions in eyebright's eyes. But apart from that, she was sweet tempered, pliable. And affectionate, and a strong bond in friendship sometimes, she liked to follow and eyebright to lead. She preferred to listen and eyebright to talk. So they suited each other exactly. Bessie's hair was dark. She was not quite so tall as eyebright, but their heights matched very well as, with arms round each other's waist, they paced up and down the green, stopping now and then to take a cookie or a bite of bread and butter from the dinner pails which they had set under one of the trees not the least attention did they pay to the rest of the scholars but eyebright began at once as if reading from some book which had been laid aside only a moment before at that moment lady jane heard a tap at the door see who it is margaret she said margaret opened the door and there stood before her astonished eyes a knight clad in shining armor "'Who are you, Sir Knight, and wherefore do you come?' she cried in amaze. "'I am come to see the Lady Jane Grey. he replied. "'I have a message for her from Lord Guildford Dudley.' "'From my noble Guildford?' shrieked Lady Jane, rushing forward. "'Even so, madam,' replied the knight, bowing profoundly. Here, Eyebright paused for a large bite of bread and butter. "'Go on, please go on,' pleaded Bessie, whose mouth happened to be empty just then. "'Mumble, mumble! The Lady Jane sank back on her couch,' resumed Eyebright, speaking rather thickly by reason of the bread and butter. She was very pale, and one tear ran slowly down her pearly cheek. "'What says, my lord?' she faintly uttered. "'He bids me to tell you to hope on, hope ever,' cried the knight. "'The jailer's daughter has promised to steal her father's keys to-night, unbar his door, and let him escape. Can this be true cried margaret? That's you, you know, Bessie. Be ready to catch me. Help! My lady is about to faint with joy. Here, eyebright sank on the grass, while Bessie made a dash and raised her head. Is it-can it be true? murmured the Lady Jane, her languid hand meanwhile stealing into the dinner-pail and producing therefrom a big red apple it is true the blessed news is indeed true cried the true-hearted margaret i feel new life in my veins and the lady jane sprang to her feet here eyebright scrambled to hers come margaret she cried we must decide in what garb we shall meet my dearest lord when he comes from prison don't you think the cram cram cranberry velvet with a network of pearls and what else did they wear Bessie? Girdles ventured Bessie, and a girdle of gems went on. Eyebright easily and quite regardless of expense. Don't you think that will be best, girl? Oh, eyebright, would she say girl broke in Bessie? It doesn't sound polite enough for the lady jane. They all do, I assure you, they do. I can show you the place in Shakespeare. It don't sound so nice because when people say girl now. It always means servant girl, you know. But it was different then. And Lady Jane did say my girl. And you mustn't interrupt so, Bessie, or we shan't get to the execution this recess. And after school I want to play the little princes in the tower. I won't interrupt any more, said Bessie. Go on. Yes, the cranberry velvet is my choice, resumed eyebright. Sir knight, accept my grateful thanks. He bent low and kissed her fair hand may nought but good tidings await you evermore he murmured sorrow should never light on so fair a being ah she said sorrow seems my portion what is rank or riches or ducality to a happy heart what did you say what was that word eyebright ducality lady jane's father was a duke you know the knight sighed deeply and withdrew ah Guilford," murmured the lady jane laying her head on the shoulder of her beloved margaret shall i indeed see you once more it seems too good to be true Eyebright paused and bit into her apple with an absorbed expression she was meditating the next scene in her romance so the next day and the next went by and still the lady jane prayed and waited night came at last and now lord gilford might appear at any moment Margaret dressed her lovely mistress in the velvet robe twined the pearls in her golden hair and clasped the jeweled girdle round her slender waist One snow-white rose was pinned in her bosom Never had she looked so wildly beautiful, but still Lord Guilford came not At last a tap at the door was heard It is he cried the lady Jane and flew to meet him But alas it was not he A stern and gigantic form filled the doorway and entering looked at her with fiery eyes No his helmet was shut tight wouldn't that be better Bessie. Oh, yes much better do have it shut said the obliging Bessie His lineaments were hidden by his helmet resumed Eyebright, correcting herself But there was something in his aspect which made her heart thrill with terror You are looking to see if I am one who will never cross your path again He said in a harsh tone lady Jane Grey no Guilford Dudley has this day Expiated his crimes on Tower Hill his headless trunk is already buried beneath the pavement where traitors lie Oh No No in mercy unsay the word shrieked the lady Jane and with one quick sob She sank lifeless to the earth while Margaret sank beside her we won't really sink, I think Bessie because the grass stains are clothes so and they get so messed up Wealthy says she can't imagine what I do to my things There was so much grass green in them that it greened all the water in the tub last wash she told mother That was when we played the Coromantic captive you know and I had to keep fainting all the time We'll just make believe we sank I guess Rouse yourself lady went on the stern warrior. I have more to communicate You are my prisoner. Here is the warrant to arrest you, and the soldiers wait outside. One dizzy moment, and Lady Jane rallied the spirit of her race. Her face was deadly pale, but she never looked more lovely. I am ready, she said with calm dignity. Only give me time to breathe one prayer. And sinking at the foot of her crucifix, she breathed an Ave Maria in such melodious tones that all present refrained from tears. Lead on, she murmured. We now pass to the scene of execution, proceeded Eyebright, whose greatest gift as a storyteller was her power of getting over difficult parts of the narrative in a sort of inspired, rapid way. I guess we won't have any trial, Bessie, because trials are so hard, and I don't know exactly how to do them. It was a chill morning in early spring. The sun had hid its face from the awful spectacle. The bell was tolling. The crowd assembled, and the executioner stood leaning on the handle of his dreadful axe. The block was ready. Oh, eyebright, it is awful, interposed Bessie, on the point of tears. At last, the door of the tower opened, went on the relentless eyebright, and the slender form of the Lady Jane appeared, led by the captain of the guard, and followed by a long procession of monks and soldiers her faithful Margaret was by her side drowned in tears She was so young so fair and so sweet that all hearts pitied her and when she turned to the priest and said father do not weep I here broke down and began to cry as for Bessie She had been sobbing hard with her handkerchief over her eyes for nearly two minutes I am going to heaven faltered Eyebright, overcome with emotion thank my cousin bloody mary for sending me there Can you tell me the way to mr. Bright's house said a voice just behind them? The girls jumped and looked round in the excitement of the execution They had wandered without knowing it to the far edge of the green which bordered on the public road a gentleman on horseback had stopped close beside them and was looking at them with an amused expression which changed to one of pity as the two tear-stained faces met his eye Is anything the matter are you in any trouble? He asked anxiously. Oh No, sir not a bit. We are only playing we are having a splendid time explained Eyebright. and Then anxious to change the subject and also to get back to Lady Jane and her woes She made haste with the direction for which the stranger had asked Just down there sir Turn the first street, and it's the fourth house from the corner. No the fifth which is it Bessie? Let me see replied Bessie counting on her fingers Mrs. Clapp's mr. Potter's mr. Wheelwright's it's the fourth I bright The gentleman thanked them and rode away as he did so the bell tinkled at the schoolhouse door Oh, there's that old bell. I don't believe it's time one bit miss Fitch must have set the clock forward Declared eyebright. Alas, no, Miss Fitch had done nothing of the sort. For at that moment, clang went the town clock, which, as everyone knew, kept the best of time, and by which all the clocks and watches in the neighborhood were set. Pshaw, it really is! cried eyebright. How short recess seems! Not longer than a minute! Not more than half a minute, chimed in Bessie oh eyebright it was too lovely i hate to go in the cheeks and eyelids of the almost executed lady jane and her bower maiden were in a sad state of redness when they entered the schoolroom but nobody took any particular notice of them miss fitch was used to such appearances and so were the other boys and girls when eyebright and bessie martha had spent their recess as they almost always did in playing the game which they called acting stories End of chapter one